All right, um, as is customary for us at the beginning of every semester, we do two or three weeks on the vision and mission of our church. So that sounds really boring, and sometimes it really is boring, uh, but it's necessary and it's important for any of you who have been here for years or are just starting to be involved to know what it is we're about. Uh, so it, it is a very important that you know that we are not a church that tries to do anything and everything. We couldn't even if we wanted to, um, but that is not how the structure and family of our churches work. We're a part of a family of four churches in the DFW area and nine or ten college campuses. I can't even keep up anymore. Uh, maybe there's more than that. And we have uh, what we feel like is a pretty specific mission and vision uh, to reach the communities we're a part of. And that's why the 12 or 1,500 of us, if we all join together, don't just meet in one small place. Every time we get about two, 300 people, we split off and send folks some to other, another community in the DFW area to intentionally have community churches, okay? And this church, the backbone of it, at least initially, but still today, are our college students. And the fact that when we first came up here, uh, me and a team of people started the UNT ministry, and we tried to find a church in here in this area that really ministered to college people. And surprisingly, in a city of over 55,000 college students, there really aren't that many churches doing much with college students. They have college ministries, but those ministries really aren't missionary ministries. They're not uh, of the mindset that I'm going to go on to campus and minister to people. They want them to come into their church and minister to them in the confines of the church. And that just doesn't work for most college students. And so as a church, we wanted to come alongside those of you who are missionaries on the college campus and support you and provide for you. And as we started graduating people and having young adults who are in the workforce and chose to stay around Denton or take the long commute in Dallas, we want to really help you uh, grow up in your faith and figure out how to take so many of the important skills and things that the Spirit uh, has gifted you in and done in you in your college years and bring that into the workplace. And so that's really what we're about as a church. And so anyway, these next two weeks, um, I really want to talk about two things that I think uh, are pretty similar, and um, I, I want to say one thing as kind of a note. The last sermon series we did was on alcohol, and I very much was targeting our church, okay? We've had some issues with alcohol, and I was targeting you. Don't feel so targeted by this challenging sermon, because it's not that I feel like, oh, we're really weak necessarily in these areas. I'm really kind of targeting church in America, I think, overall, and particularly because of some, some things that have happened in the last few weeks and really few years, um, I think this is really important for us as a church to talk about. So I have these kind of two images in my mind uh, in the way of introduction, and they couldn't be different from each other. One is really sweet and nice, and the other one is really disgraceful and not something I like to talk about. The first one is I spent a lot of time with um, my wife's uh, family over the last uh, week, week and a half because of her mom's passing. And um, one of my favorite things to do, probably because I'm immature, probably because I think I'm better at it than other people, and probably because I can avoid having to talk to adults, I like playing with the kids, okay? Someone compared me to Blippi. Have you ever seen this Blippi show? It is terrible. It's like, remember how I mentioned that you know, my own personal, like, hell would be in a room where, like, with it wrapped up uh, and listening to either country music or Christian uh, uh, 94.9. Well, I'm going to add one more thing to that, and that's a video of Blippi playing, okay? Because just watch this. Not now, because you'd be distracted. Um, but Blippi is this guy that is my age, really, and dresses up in all these outfits and shows, like, 
this is a train that's red and just kind of does all these really crazy things. Well, I'm apparently like that when I deal with kids. And so one of the things that kids pretty quickly realize about me is that I will go play with them. And some of the ways they ask me to go play are just the funniest thing. So my uh, nephew, who I have no idea how old he is, kids in my mind between the ages of about zero, what is that, uh, to kindergarten, no clue what their age is. I could call a one-year-old a four-year-old and a four-year-old a one-year-old. For whatever reason, I cannot differentiate, okay? So I apologize for all the kids who've come here and I've insulted them because I had no idea what their ages were. And you can't listen to them. I mean, how many times do they really know, right? Actually, believe it or not, they're usually pretty good at it. But anyway, so uh, Rowan is his, his name. Some of you know Joseph and Brittany. And his way of asking me to come over and play was, come on, buddy. Come on and play with me, buddy. He doesn't remember names, so it's always, come on, buddy. And of course, in his language, you know, come on, buddy. Now, Reese, some of you might know Reese a little bit better. This is Brianna and Tyler's, uh, what's that saying? Ah, you know, yeah, I guess he's cute. Um, hers is always, hey, Brad, let's go play. And, you know, we go off and we go somewhere and play, and the play is always really fun. Have you guys ever thought about, as you transitioned kind of into older life, when you stopped asking people to come play with you? I mean, there was a time. There really was a time. Because I remember as a kid calling my friends up and, hey, but, hey do you want to go play in the creek? You want to go play this? Imagine calling up someone today. You know, you're going to have a one-on-one as a core for something. Hey, buddy, you want to go play today uh, around 1 or 2 o'clock? They'd be like, what are you talking about? Like at some, some level, some time period in our life, let's play is just not okay anymore, okay? It's a part of natural adult life to just stop playing, which might be a bad thing. I remember I had a really, really good friend uh, who I visited in India, and he, he was like, uh, he wasn't really religious, but um, he loved the book, Everything I Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten or something, and he constantly quoted that book. That was like his religion, was that apparently everything you need to know. I, have any of you read that book? Or like read, no, okay, well, apparently it's good. Um, and, and in his mind, you know, I mean, he was a very, very playful adult, so maybe that worked for him. Anyway, what I want to talk about today primarily is playing church versus really being a part of the church. Because one of the problems that the American church has in particular is it has far too many people playing church. And while it's important as adults that we know how to be playful and fun, I'm certainly using the term playing in here, meaning that we are going through the motions and rituals. Have you ever watched that video where the adults uh, do the voiceover for the kids playing? That one's super funny too, man. You're going to watch that. What what are you all watching these days? If you're not watching these kinds of videos, I mean, what are you watching? Kid Kid history, that's what it's called? Yeah, oh my gosh, kid history, yes. But in the church, too many of us are playing church. And that's, this isn't just the immature among us. This isn't just the folks who uh, are you know, mean-spirited or not Christians. It's very easy as you're a part of the church for any given time period to get into the routine of just playing church. To do the motions, to do the rituals, to come, to go, to have everything sort of pre-planned without really doing anything of meaning or of value or of, you know, that would be suggested or expected uh, of an adult. And so we play church too often, and I really want to talk about that. The other image that I had, uh, which um, is not one that I really want to spend a lot of time talking about because I still haven't really processed it, but just within the last week, it's sort of come out that Bill Hybels 
uh, the pa- uh, founder and pastor of uh, Willow Creek Church, who in some ways has had an impact on our ministry, certainly the leadership summit they do every year, uh, was accused of um, sexual assault, okay, and accused of a lot of inappropriate comments and behaviors. Now, this is hard-hitting to me. Some of the folks in the past that have been a part of this, and of course there's now a hashtag, excuse me, for it too, called Church Two, right? Um, haven't really impacted me. The folks in the past, some of the, because I never really respected them that much. That weird thing with Andy Savage a few months back, some of those other things. But Bill Hybels, man, I mean, he wrote the book on, in my mind, Christian character and on being a person who is the same in the dark or alone or however some of these phrases go as you are in front of people. And so it was really hard hitting for me this week to find out that not only has he been accused of these things, but also uh, has flat out denied them, even though multiple people have come forward. The entire staff obviously um, decided that this was an issue because they just decided to quit, every single one of them, the elders and the pastoral staff. And reading on this uh, and about this and, and some of the things that have happened over the years, it just got me thinking that I wanted to preach this sermon today. And so this today and then next week, I'm going to kind of talk about how both of these images in my mind relate And I really want us to, myself included here and and really leading the charge, kind of confess some sins uh, that we have, all of us, as uh, uh, um, church members in America, certainly church members here, and to really work towards repenting of those sins. The first point is that, uh, and I only have two, I'll do the first one today and then the second one next week. They really overlap a lot, and uh, I'd love for you if... um, if you really want to kind of take this to heart, read through Matthew 23. Matthew 23 is a very difficult read. It's the famous kind of woe to you Pharisees section. But what's interesting about it is some of Jesus' most vivid images. Clean the inside of the cup, you know, and the outside will be clean. Whitewashed tombstones, so on and so forth, are from this passage. Where he is, is uh, basically criticizing scathingly the church or the synagogue, the temple of his day. And not just the leaders, but the people who are following them. And these images are vivid and they're, I mean, you can just imagine him coming and preaching a sermon to you where he just called you the kind of names he calls you. And basically just says, woe to them, there's no chance for them, which is really what that means. And so I'll read through that maybe this next week, and I know that's not like, oh, well, I'm super excited about doing my devotional over all the woe to passages. Um, but I think it will be very helpful for you to digest some of the things that we're going to talk about today and, uh, and next week. So point number one is we have got to love our church. Excuse me. <laughs> I, I always do this in terms of opposites. I'm not for sure uh, uh, what that's about. We can't love our church more than we love the people in it. And we're guilty of that a lot. We're guilty of loving the church more than we are the people actually in it. Now, I know I'm doing some stuff with wordplay here because the church is made up of people in it. And I'm certainly not speaking to this liberal millennial idea that the church is bad, it's a terrible institution, we should hate it, and I'll just be free-flowing, you know, Christian, I don't know, crazies that get together and just kind of do what we want to do. That has more to do with our current cultural disgust of institutions than it does with anything else. But what I am talking about is that sometimes 
the culture of the church, the leadership of the church, all the tasks of the church, my important role in it is something that we value more highly than the very people we're around. We value it more highly than that, than the people themselves. And we're guilty of this, I think, even on our best days, we love our church more than we love the people in it. And I want to talk about that and, and unpack that a little bit right now. And then next week, I want to talk about how we, we are guilty of loving our church more than the people it's meant for. And the idea that the church is really meant for and has always been meant for the community of, uh, of people as a human race. That's what the church is for. The church was always for to be a bright, shining light of God's glory to everybody outside of it. And yet, we love the church more than we love the people that it was meant for. And so we'll talk about that next week, and you can be thinking about that idea. But today, I really just want to hone in on this idea that we love our church more than we love the people in it. Uh, I saw this early on with our leader team. We call them the chulas, like church leaders. And what I found was in our chula team, and I think all of our chula leaders can appreciate this and agree with it, is uh, it was much easier for them to take on lots and lots of tasks in their leadership role. And even when we started having people kind of, I hate to use the word because it's not really true, but let's just say in their care, okay, under them, whatever, doing other tasks, it was much easier for them to do the tasks as a leader than to actually mentor the people on their team. You small group leaders, it's very easy for you to come to a group each week and have a plan prepared and have all the ideas that you want to present than it is for you to take care of the people in your small group. It's easier for you to study with a freshman because, hey, that's a quantity thing. I can check that off. I know I'm being valuable than it is to wade into the life of a returner who may be older and you're thinking, I've got no idea what to do with this person. They've already been studied with, so gosh, there's probably nothing else they need. (laughs) And we play church. We play church. We do all of the stuff that's easier and that's going through the motions and the stuff we're comfortable with rather than really paying attention to the people around us. It's just easier, guys. We're all guilty of it. You know, some of us who have been doing church ministry for a long time are more guilty of it uh, than anyone. If you see me after church, I'm tired, and the last thing I usually want to do is sit and talk to someone for a long period of time, unless it's over an idea for my sermon, and then I'm not talking to a person. I'm just talking about ideas. I rush around from one area to the next, trying to find every small thing that I can do of uh, take the wind, you know, shades down and put the coffee up. It's just easy to do. I'm playing church, you know, because the important stuff's somewhere else, I guess. I don't know. But I'm playing church. We do it. We do it all the time. We show up, uh, but we're not ultimately showing up with any kind of purpose or plan or with people in mind. We just run through the motions and we play church. And it's just easy to get into. I mean, it just is easy to get into. And we could talk about all of the cultural impediments we have, but I don't think this is some just simple cultural thing. I think this is just a human nature thing. It's always an insurmountable task that the church has to build and develop deep relationships with people. And it is not something that we have the possibility of being able to do without the spirit inside of us that ultimately gifts us with all of these spiritual gifts 
that make us someone who really cares and loves about people. And so at the end of the day, we can play church and, and really just, in, you know, anytime you play with a kid, it's very easy they have an agenda, right? Kids can be super controlling, right? You try to, like, introduce an idea or something else you ought to do. No, no. I mean, it's great because they're so honest with you, right? You know, one of my favorite things in the world is when you try so hard to get a kid to smile, and they just look at you like, you are such an idiot. <laughs> you, just, you can't do anything, man. They're in control. Well, it's the same for us when we play church. We're in control. We're doing what's in our zone, what we feel comfortable with, what we, what we want to do, what we've done over the years, without really letting the Spirit guide us into the difficult waters of dealing with human people. So let me mention three quotes or phrases that I think are really tricky. Okay, and they're tricky because they take some kind of unpacking. I feel like Paul talking to the Corinthian church, they got all these phrases, and the phrases themselves aren't bad, but the way that they have been implementing these phrases have been devastating for their, their communal relationships. So the whole everything is permissible, you know? They're thinking, okay, that's a fine phrase. We talked about with, that, with the alcohol sermon series. Well, it's certainly not an okay thing when you're just doing it and not regarding anybody around you. So that's what I'm talking about. I want to mention three phrases that I think uh, we've got to kind of uh, think through, okay? And think through in, uh, in ways that, uh, that I think are more complex than just do I agree with this statement or do I not. Uh, number one is I'm at this church because they get me. Guys, there's nothing wrong with being a part of a church that lines up with your heart and spiritual gifts and even your denominational background. I do not believe that's a bad thing. If you were raised in my um, wife's family, you know, uses the term spirit-filled all the time. I happen to think that's very offensive because it suggests that somehow I'm not. <laughs> uh, but okay, I get it. I understand Okay, and if that's the background that you're in, I'm not going to take offense to that because I get it. I, you've, you know, taught us some things, the American church, that the other churches just didn't figure out. And we wouldn't have figured out if we didn't have the Pentecostal movement. And so it's great. That's good. And you're a part of that, and that's a part of your deal, and that is so awesome, and we want to applaud that and appreciate that because that's an important phrase, I think, that we can get behind that, okay, they get me, this is my background, whatever else. But where that breaks down is when it becomes a selfish thing that's my comfort zone, and my comfort zone, and what I desire out of church is of higher priority than anything else because you've already been defeated in your ministry. Because when push comes to shove and the Spirit leads you in a way that might be different than what you're used to and might be something uncomfortable, you've already decided that your mission here is that people get me and that people back up my personality type or back up my political leanings or back up my understanding of this specific social issue which I'm so concerned about. You've already been defeated. The Spirit can't work in someone who's decided that the Spirit doesn't really get a say. <laughs> it's not going to work. And so the they, the they get me thing only works uh, when the they get me is about allowing the Spirit to work in those areas that I'm used to, that make sense to me, and that I get, but I still allow Him to move in me in ways that are uncomfortable. 
But when the they get me is, you know, I like this form of worship or this kind of preaching, which I hear so much from so many people. And don't get me wrong, they don't phrase it like that. Some of my favorites are, well, they preach the Bible. I'm like, what the heck am I doing up here, you know? Like, I yeah, you know, it's another church. They just preach the Bible more. And I'm like, oh, okay, get, get a mental note. Okay, I'm preach the Bible. Let's make sure to get that down. What's that mean? You like expository sermons where every week the pastor goes through one or two verses and tries to impress you with all the exegetical work they did and their 20 hours of work that they didn't even meet with another human? Oh, okay, yeah, that's great. Good for you. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. So when our selfishness and our, our desire to get out of church what we want, we're just playing church. It's just back to being little immature kids who are cute to watch, but it's not very cute to watch adults do what I do with kids, you know, right? Adults do what I do. That was a really strange phrase. Please do not ever quote me on that. Um, I think you know what I mean. I'm not going to try to go dig myself any deeper with that one. <laughs> Guys, ultimately, our goal as a church is not to build some kind of camaraderie. Camaraderie is a good thing when it's directed in the right place, but camaraderie can be just as bad a thing. I won't remind you of the leather-wearing accountants who ride hogs, okay, that sermon, but that is what I mean. When a whole bunch of, of accountants dress up in leather and pretend like they're motorcycle enthusiasts. One of my favorite uh, news articles I read this last week was from NPR that says Sturgis' 78th anniversary has tamed down a lot. And I just want all of those guys who think they're so tough because they went out and spent $30,000 on an overpriced bike that's mostly made in another country uh, to remember that nobody thinks of them as tough. Okay, thank you. So camaraderie is really not what we're working towards here. We're working towards maintaining the, the, the unity of the spirit, which means the spirit brings together people who are from truly different mindsets and backgrounds and spiritual giftings, who have experiences that others of us could never imagine, but that somehow he brings us together, and our job is, and I just is not a great way to say this, to maintain it, because maintenance is one of the hardest things to do, because it's the day in, day out, not fun stuff, usually. It's the sweeping the floors and cleaning them, and the stuff that's really important, but it's day-by-day -day stuff. The unity that we get, we're not going to be unified because we all come together in one event and say nice things and pray for each other. It's the day in, day out, one-on-one -on -one relationships that the Spirit does in our church that unifies it. It maintains the unity that he's working towards. And we often look for appearance to determine unity, but that's not something that uh, we're very good at determining at all. It's initiative. You know, the opposite in my mind of this selfish they get me is the mindset that I'm going to take initiative as a Spirit-filled person of God to be able to connect with anyone and everyone because the spirit is just that powerful. You know, in college, we have a lot of buddies. It's easier to find buddies. When you're part of Focus Ministry, you've got two or 300 people. It's easy to say, well, these are my buddies. These are who I'm rooming with. We have similar degrees. We have similar tastes. You know, we both like Bob's Burgers. Um, <laughs> dang, I, I really got to get better references. That's just really not appealing to most of you. Um, someone kind of just send me, so you just update me weekly on uh, some things. We both 
like the Kiki Challenge. Okay, um, it's over. We've got to take initiative. Guys, we're a church that it's going to be very hard to be a part of for very long without getting some initiative given to you. <laughs> if you're not willing to take it yourself, you're going to get some. We have a lot of leaders in our church. The core of our church is and will always be leaders. We do not live by the 80-20 principle where 20% of our leaders do 80% of our work. Okay? That's just never how we're going to be. And if you're looking for that kind of opportunity, then there are a lot of other churches, again, that are great to go be a part of and kind of step slowly as maybe you're busy or maybe you're questioning a lot of things. Not to say that questioning isn't bad. It is bad because it isn't. <laughs> okay? Uh, but, um, but we're a church where we really expect you to take initiative. If you're a Christian, you're a disciple, it's time to get going. Uh, my recommendation for this, I, I have these recommendations, and actually my recommendations are going to be the same next week, so for each of these points, but you know, and I think one of the things that really helps, and this might seem a little bit weird to you and kind of strange and uh, off kilter, but I think it's actually, uh, it works, but we'll see, uh, is in our relationships with each other, guys, we need to ask more direct questions. What I mean by that is sometimes in our interactions, it's very easy for us to, again, play relationships. We play at it. We don't dig deep. We don't have important conversations. We don't ask about things that we already know kind of what the answer is going to be because we don't want to have to talk about it. Now, I'm not advocating counseling-type friendships. The other end of this is every week I get with someone, it's an hour of intensive counseling, and I've got to somehow mentor them or whatever else. But some of our conversations each week and or every other week or as we get together can be deeply ritualistic and rote and lack meaning. We've got to dig deep. We've got to know each other well enough, okay, to know how to do what I'm about to say next, which is head problems off at the pass. We've got to have a culture in our church where people know what's going on with everybody, including me, so that we can avoid some of the issues that we see in some of these other churches. The biggest problem, it sounds like, with the Hybels incident is too many people, and I'm going to get into this point next, respected him so much that they didn't want to say anything. If they truly respected him, they would have been quicker to call him on the, uh, out on the carpet for it than anybody else in the church. Because he's supposed to be living a different lifestyle. But instead, they love the church more than they love the people. And therefore, the people, in this case in particular, the girl who was the accuser, got sidelined. And people somehow lowered the bar for their pastor. How does that happen? It happens when we play at church. When we love our church and its leadership and its structure and its routines and culture more than we love the very people in it. Okay? And we, we can't do that. That's not going to work. The second one, uh, a part of this loving our church, the first one was they get me. Next one is respect your leaders. Now, again, this is tricky because it sounds like something that we would all agree with. Number one, the scripture doesn't say it. It talks about submitting. It talks about honoring them. Uh, not to, again, play wordplay here, but respect your leaders. Well, that sounds like a really good idea, and I think it is. You know, um, there's a lot of things to respect about your leaders, whether it's less CRI, whether it's the Chulas. Many of us work for much less than we could get anywhere else. We work tireless hours. We deal with a lot of issues. 
People don't hold us accountable, uh, excuse me, don't check up on us, <laughs> but hold us to a higher level of accountability, sometimes an unnecessary level of accountability, uh, and that they expect us to be perfect. There's a lot that leaders bear in terms of the burdens. But when there's one issue that should never be something that we ever, ever punt on when it comes to respecting our leaders, and that's that leaders should always be living the model lives or model behavior. Now, that's tricky. But you read through 1 Timothy, and our elders, uh, uh, Don and Kurt and I, are going through 1 Timothy right now. And if you can summarize 1 Timothy, it's simply that if you, if you expect to be a leader in the church, you should find people who are of the utmost character. Now, particularly in the cities where Timothy and Titus were, this was important because they had a lot of people falling for false teaching. And I'm not trying to kind of make this statement about perfection here. Any of you know me, you know I am nowhere even near perfect. I am the least of all of the ministers in our metro family of churches. Most people, when you get to know me a little bit more, they're like, a minister? How how is he a minister again? Only by God's calling and a whole lot more grace than a lot of others. Just come live with me, not girls, but guys, and you'll figure out pretty quickly, uh, you know, how, uh, yeah, Troy just moved in recently. He understands that. Josh, yeah understands that, uh, that's good. But our leaders, we ought to call to a very, very high uh, accountability and, uh, and, and, uh, and model of life. Our leaders are in no way above the law. Absolutely not. They're lower than the law. What, what other people can get away with, they shouldn't be able to get away with. And that's the standard of leadership we have. And in a church, that should always be the deal. And uh, thankfully, I'm so imperfect sometimes. I think most people feel pretty comfortable talking to me, but still, there's people who don't, you know, and that's, that's uh, you know, something I'm just inviting you to do, even though I can be very uh, uncomfortable to talk to sometimes, because I'm so mean. Where did I get that from, you know? Anger and meanness. Probably my mom and dad who are here this morning. Oh, hi, mom and dad. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I got mostly positive qualities. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> The recommendation here for this respecting your leaders thing is, guys, we've got to head off issues at the pass. The whole idea of this illustration is that you see it coming up. I watched this video this morning of a Harley guy, it's always Harley guys, who thought he was really cool. There's this really important road called Tale of the Dragon, and every good motorcyclist has ridden it out in North Carolina, Tennessee. And he, there are the cameras everywhere. They're super distracting. This is one of the most difficult uh, technical roads in all of the U.S. It's called Tale of the Dragon. It's just constantly winding roads over 150 curves in like a 13-mile radius. Well, he gets really cocky, and it's coming by one of the cameras, flicks him off with his left hand, right hand loses grip, and just falls off his bike. And the bike just kind of keeps going. Uh, he's okay. Don't worry. I'm not, you know, yeah, applauding. But he was focused right where things were at the moment, and, of course, cocky and showing off and not paying attention to the up ahead the pass was over. We've got to do the same thing with each other. There is, yes, of course, the concept of louder later. What's the other one? More louder later. Yes, you can always tell people more, but some issues we need to head off at the pass. As a church, grace is not about letting people go on with a disrespectful, rebellious, disobedient life without any cost. We talked about that. It seems like the most important thing you remember from the alcohol sermon uh, last uh, week or two weeks ago was how to disfellowship people, which is not at all what I wanted you to take from that. Thank you very much. That is, again, let me reiterate, something you do like once in 10 years, okay? And if you ask me again about it, 
you might be disfellowshipped, all right? <laughs> Just to disassociate myself and ourselves from you. Uh, but we've got to hit off issues of the past. When we know about things, uh, our church sometimes is accused of gossip. And do we gossip? Sure. But what's happening more often than not is we're overly sensitive to people talking about other people in our culture. We're very individualistic. We want our stuff to stay private, and usually we want it to stay private because we don't want other people talking to us about what things they should be talking to us about. And in a culture of that kind of extreme individualism and extreme privacy, people can get away with a lot of stuff, and they can get away with it in secret, and they can harm people. And if you're one of those people who's private, private, everything's got to be private, let it be clear that if something that you're doing is affecting or harming someone else, If I don't find out about it, which usually comes up to the top, I will always encourage someone to ask me to go and tell everybody involved who needs to deal with it. And as a church, hopefully, we're going to deal with issues and head them off at the pass. We talked about this two weeks ago, about church discipline and how uncomfortable church discipline can be and how unpopular it is in a world where, you know, we just tend to focus on how this affects the one person whose privacy was Uh, you know, violated, and not all of the other people that were affected and impacted by uh, the fact that this issue was dealt with before it got much bigger. And so we need to head off uh, issues at the pass. You need to look ahead and figure out these things and really get an idea uh, of who needs to be involved and what, uh, what things need to be talked about. I still think the best definition that many of you have heard before, because we have all these axiomatic phrases around here, is if they're not a part of the problem or not a part of the solution, they probably shouldn't hear about it. That's pretty good because that's pretty right. But some of us, we think in terms of directly involved with the problem or directly involved with the solution. Uh, Sometimes there needs to be a wide variety of people involved to deal with some of the things we're dealing with. The last one, and and, let me just say this. A lot of times what I find is people are not motivated by a um, concern for an individual's privacy. Okay, and, and we can talk about that as an issue, and I think that's an important one. What they're more concerned with is how it will come back to them and how this person will be angry with me. or how It's a cowardice motivation. We're not so concerned with the other person's well-being that we're you know, willing to kind of stake our reputation on this situation needs to get fixed and needs to be dealt with. And, uh, and we lose an opportunity to really love the other person by following our uh, church rituals and our rules. The last one I want to mention, and, and I'll be done, uh, is just that's how we do things. <laughs> that's how we do things. Okay, so remember I, I gave you three quotes here. They get me, respect your leaders, and that's how we do things. Now that's how we do things, again, uh, can go both ways, guys. We have core competencies as a church. Any, like any business, we're going to have specific things that we really want to, what the, some people call heat up or focus on, or um, uh, emphasize, and we're going to lack other things, okay? You know, I think one of the things that in the past we've been guilty of is, is discipling people in our church and losing a real love and passion for evangelism. It's just hard to do both sometimes. You know, we, we get at church, and we want to be around people, and there's so many people to meet with, and there's so many people who can be developed, and then it's like, oh, thinking about people outside the church and, you know, in our communities just seems so hard. Where do you begin? What do you do? I've built all these skills up for discipleship, you know, and yet I don't really know what to do when it comes to just starting at square one with people. And we're going to talk about that next week. But we have core competencies, and that's okay. Things that are, as a church, we're going to do okay, like make coffee, and uh, other things, because that's one of our most important, 
um, and other things that we're just going to totally, uh, you know, uh, punt on or not do a great job of. But the, that's how we do things is, is, uh, is very tricky. We have to always, regardless of what our core competencies are, come back to what the Spirit gifts us with. These relational qualities, all of the seven spiritual gifts are relational except probably self-control. That's what God is doing. That is what the Spirit is doing in any and every church. And if our church grows in an amazing teen ministry or in an outreach ministry, but individuals in the church aren't growing in the spiritual gifts, and I'm not talking about spiritual gifts that God's given us and that we develop, but these seven basic spiritual gifts, we are not doing anything. We are a resounding gong, as Paul would say, echoing, puffing up, not building up not accomplishing anything. And so those are the things that the Spirit wants from us as he develops us uh, into people who really are uh, these things that you don't find very naturally uh, in the world. It can't come back to our culture or our tradition, whether that means our culture in terms of that's who we are, whether it means adapting to the culture around us. These are not core values for us. Our core values are to respond uh, to these things that the Spirit is doing, and almost every single one of these has to do with how we treat each other. And as a church, we want to continue to dig into that and figure that out and try our best to do it. My recommendation here uh, to, to kind of overcome our stubbornness to do things different is we have to be gentle and give people patient instructions. This is the hardest of these recommendations for me to actually follow. No bone in my body is gentle, and patient instructions sounds like something you, uh, you know, hand to someone in a hospital, okay? <laughs> oh, that was pretty good. I just made up on the spot. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, it's just this, no one in my body, that's natural too. Uh, come to my business anytime between about nine to two, and you will see just how not gentle I am. I'm serious. You get people come all the time, all the time, wanting this, wanting that, asking for Noah, know the people asking for me, and I am not nice. You think, oh, Metro Auto Ministry, you know, it'll be nice to people who, you know, are no, not nice. What do you want? That's what I say usually, you know. And then if it's someone, you know, who I'm like, oh, okay, good, and I turn like completely to a nice person. But we've got to learn how to be patient and give people careful instructions. Patience and careful instructions. To be gentle with people uh, in the way that we deal with things. Because, you know, I've noticed that in, in, when you kind of, get this whole, we got to head issues off of the past, and you can deal with conflict. There's another tendency that happens once you get over that cowardice, and that is that I'm just going to deal with all of it aggressively and, and haphazardly and flippantly. You know, I'm, I'm just going to deal with that issue. It needs to be dealt with. You know, I'm going to go deal with it. You know, I'm going to be that one that's strong enough, that's courageous enough to go deal with it. And then you lose the fact that Jesus was very patient and careful in the instructions he gives to people. So patient that, you know, when people hit him or accused him, the stuff that he said in return is just unfathomable for someone like me. I mean, just, it's not, it's not possible to think, hey, I would do anything near that like that in that situation. I'd be the sword guy with, you know, the ears cutting off and hands and anything else I could, never mind, sorry, that was terrible. Questions, comments, thoughts, uh, this is certainly to us as a church, and so uh, I'd love to hear if you have anything that you want to encourage us in, or I know some of that was pretty vague, it's meaning to be, or it's meant to be a little, somewhat vague, just to kind of remind us of some of the core values that we have. And if you take nothing else away, uh, you might take away, what does it look like for you to play church? 
uh, on your day, your worst day, sort of as a Christian or as a disciple, what does playing church look like to you? Uh, and what would it really mean for you to love the people in the church and not the church, so to speak, uh, and playing church? What does that actually mean? I know it's a really tough question to ask. Uh, it's very difficult to kind of think through, but it's a great one to go to God with uh, and to, uh, to hear what he, uh, what he might tell you. One of the things I used to do a lot is I would put on a completely different persona uh, on, at, on services, uh, services. You know, I'd be this super, like, bubbly, friendly, uh, cut-up, joking kind of guy. And I realized that some level, number one, that stressed me out. Number two, it wasn't even who I was at the, my core. And so now I'm just mean to all of you. Uh, and so that works a lot better because uh, that's actually who I am. So, no, you know, I'm kidding, but you know me. You know my jokes. You know, you know, how... How kind of harsh I could be. Kevin said it the other day that I kind of am the big brother of the church. Uh, you know, the big brother protects you, looks out for you, but is also really mean to you, right? Uh, and always tells you that you're not doing anything good enough or right enough. And if you live with me, that's pretty much my, uh, you know, my MO. Um, so what does that look like for you? And uh, yeah, any comments, thoughts, questions before we break for communion? Encouragement to the church? The more people who could potentially be harmed and uh, uh, the more people involved, the more people we need to tell. When, when I'm dealing with something that's an individual sin and it's really going to be harmful to that person, not that many people need to know. But the more people who could be harmed by it, uh, sexual sin is like that a lot of times, um, you know, greed, things like that. It, a lot of those sins are just really going to be uh, impacting to a lot of other people. And the more people are going to be impacted, the more I'm going to head it off at the pass. Um, so, you know, and you know, the, other, the ironic thing about a lot of that stuff is, in my experience, when people are really resistant to God working in them, they're going to try to pull together a whole lot of people on their side. So while they say that anything you say is gossip because they have the right to share it, they're doing plenty of sharing behind the scenes. And a lot of it's just corrective, uh, you know, talking about things in a way that's a little bit less biased and, you know, not their perspective on it. Any others? Thoughts? Yeah, Josh. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, guys. I, you know, um, some of you, uh, you know, you talk about or, or refer to some of us as pastors or leaders or, you know, whatever you do. And, and some of that's great, guys. And I know it's nice sometimes, you know, oh, it's my pastor for my church, you know, things like that. But, but you know, you always got to question and ask the question, how well do you know me? Those of you who are closest to me, you know, uh, if I'm not leading a group of people uh, particularly in, in my mind in this, uh, you know, presidency, uh, you know, uh, people who can really counter me and talk uh, in ways that are really like, hey, stop doing that. Uh, Josh, I'm, it's funny that you should, that I was going off on someone, Melissa, uh, who I like to go off on with some consistency, in one of our Chula meetings uh, about a month ago. And uh, the thing that ultimately stopped it was funny and comical, but it was Josh rating what I just said as a one out of five stars. <laughs> that was very, very funny to me, and it stopped my tirade, uh, which I do about once a year on someone, some poor soul. Uh, but Josh just said, okay, well, and, and in an angry way, too, uh, you know, what you just said was a one star out of five. And what she said, I think maybe he gave her a 1.5 or 2, uh, which is still low, for the record, but... <laughs> Any of us would rather go to a two-star place than a one-star place, so let's be honest. Uh, but we need to be very careful with our leaders. We really do um, in calling them. And again, this isn't about perfection, but it's, I think exactly what Josh says. Yeah, I've studied the Bible. 
and probably can have a very in-depth conversation uh, that will make you feel foolish on the scripture. But that doesn't mean I have any easier time dealing with my stuff than you do. Uh, When it comes to righteousness, when it comes to spiritual gifts, there are people in this group who are more righteous and more a model of correct behavior in certain areas than I am, I guarantee you, uh, without a doubt. And, uh, and that's just, you know, because you know, the way we do church, guys, it's not, we don't have superstars up here. We've got guys like me. Uh, Leslie's kind of a superstar. She's got kind of like a quasi-superstar status, let's be honest. Um, but me, no. So, uh, you know, uh, that's just, that's what you get. And if you want a superstar, uh, apparently you can't even go to a mega church now and find one, so I don't know where you should go. Uh, maybe celebrities. Maybe we should just start, you know, making celebrities our, uh, our pastors because we all know they don't mess up. Um, so that's good. <laughs> all right, any other comments, questions, thoughts? Lord God, thank you so much for your grace for us. We thank you that we are not ultimately in charge of this church thing, that your spirit is constantly working in our hearts and in the life of the community to redirect us to help us understand uh, where we've gone off the path. I just pray that you would help us care enough about each other. One of the hardest things to do, caring about people that we don't know uh, and, uh, and that we haven't built a relationship with more than we care about the routines and tasks and all the other trappings of what it means to, to do church. Help us to humbly follow you in maintaining the unity that you have already built up. To me, that is the strongest thing, God, that has um, continued to sustain my faith, getting to know the kinds of people uh, in this room and in our community of churches and in churches around the world who are truly different, that you would knit them together um, from all walks of life, from all ways of thinking, from all experiences, bad and good, um, that your character, um, that your truth would knit us together is just an amazing fact and proof of your majesty and your glory. Thank you so much for Jesus and the specific examples he's given us to how to treat people and the love that he has um, for us and uh, for any and every one of his children. We love you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.